0: Welcome to Album Clash, the podcast in which we take two albums that share a connection and put them against each other inside the ring of Two albums enter, only one may leave. This is Album Clash. Hello, and this is Album Clash. I'm Alive, the man with the second face, and I'm ready, y'all, to ride the space wheel.
1: Again, I haven't
0: got an an interesting introduction, so I'm Kev. You're going to have to up your game here, mate. Come on. (laughs) I'm bringing it, so you need to bring it too. (laughs) Oh, dear. Yeah. Welcome to uh, our, well, the start of a new clash this week. Uh, This is my choice. Uh, And as I explained at the end of last week's show, we will be going through... Public Enemies' It Takes a Nation in Millions to Hold Us Back, and NWA's Straight Outta Compton. Just, I'll take us through what connects those two albums. The the obvious one is that there were two albums that were hugely influential in in the hip hop genre, and both really spoke out and advocated issues related to civil rights within the States. In different ways, it's gotta be said, as, as we'll get into. They were both released in 1988, but there's a, quite a number of other things that uh, that connect them. So NWA actually supported Public Enemy in 1988 on their Bring the Noise tour. Both of these artists suffered from media blackouts, essentially, with radio stations refusing to play their material. And the other one is, is samples. So there's loads of tracks that are sampled on tracks on both of these albums. Uh, and also uh, there are a couple of instances where tracks on one of these albums are sampled on tracks on the other album. So uh, we'll get into all that over the next couple of weeks, but basically hugely influential hip-hop albums of the 80s. That's why we're doing these two.
1: Yeah, they both are hugely influential, hugely important in the development of,
0: of rap. You're right, they, they, and certainly one of them inspired an entire genre or sub-genre, but again, we'll, we'll get into that. Now, just a couple of points of order before we start uh, going through what we can't get out of our head. So the first thing is we will not be saying the N word.
1: Absolutely not. Yeah, we we will not be using it. Uh,
0: and the other one is part of the reason why I chose these is, as I mentioned last week, this is sadly, you know, civil rights for African American communities. Well, not just not just in America, you know, across the world, and it's prevalent in the UK as well. It is a unfortunately still something which needs to be spoken about today. As we record this show, it's the 23rd of April, 2021. So just this week, Derek Chauvin has been convicted of the murder of of George Floyd. We're not going to go into that into any great detail uh, other than to say that's something that's happened. It's something that's part of why I chose these two albums. Yeah, we'll leave it there, I think. Yeah. All right, then on to can't get you out of my head. Do you mind if I go first? No, like it, it is your prerogative. Okay, so in terms of the shite that's been stuck in my head, and this is for the last couple of weeks, really, and this is the fault of, uh, well, a a mutual friend of ours. We've been obviously promoting Album Clash on various social media formats, and when we promoted our first episode, mutual friend of mine and Kev's, hello, Graham, if you're listening, suggested that a future clash should be Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon against Let Loose by Let Loose. (laughs) Ever since that, I've had Crazy by Let Loose stuck in my head. (laughs) Wow.
1: I mean, that is a song that I have not heard for a long, long time.
0: And I am (laughs) glad about that. I mean, just to be clear, we're not going to do that clash because it would be a no contest. I mean, how could Pink Floyd live up to the greatness that is Let Loose? (laughs) (laughs) So that's my shite. Yeah. So, yeah. Thanks, Graham. Really appreciate that. What about you? What's been stuck in your head?
1: My uh, shite is something that's relatively new. So I, I'm a, I love the Rolling Stones. I love Foo Fighters. However, when Mick Jagger and Dave Grohl have got together to record the execrable "Easy Sleazy," oh god! Honestly, it, the the lyrics are six form standard, and it makes you know you know like watching like The Office that kind of thing, but. Cringeworthy thing that makes your skin crawl. Yep, listening to Easy Sleazy makes me feel like that. They're both people I really like, but it's fucking dreadful.
0: I've heard about it, but I haven't heard it, and I've got no interest in hearing it. Even the the image of them two together, I was like, Ooh, has Mick Jagger learned nothing from dancing in the streets with Bowie? <laughs> I mean, he's
1: not wearing a, a shit polyester tracking. so you know <laughs> he has learned that. <laughs>
0: Uh, no it looked bad so i won't be listening to it oh
1: god it is i would suggest you to at least at least listen to it once just so
0: you can understand how how bad it actually is we went through this with battlefield earth (laughs) i'm not going to watch or listen to something just because you say it's utterly shite in fact that's a reason for me not to watch it or listen to it so no thank you (laughs) i will let you deal with that pain (laughs) I've still never seen Battlefield Earth, and I never will. Dreadful, dreadful film. <laughs> All right, what about what about good stuff? What have you been listening to that's good? What do you want to give a tip of the hat to?
1: So I very much want to give a tip of the hat to, so I'm not, not sure if you're aware, around February this year, Nick Cave, who I absolutely love, uh, released an album called Carnage with his co-bad seed, uh, Warren Ellis. And it's a it's a really good album. The standout track on it is a song called White Elephant and it's quite relevant, I suppose, in, in terms of what we're gonna be talking about as, as I explain it. It starts off as a really angry and bleak evocation of the time. So there's a line that I've um, written down here, which, which I'll read to you. A protester kneels on the neck of a statue. The statue says, I can't breathe. The protester says, now you know how it feels that's very on the nose it's so angry the first the first part of the song and then it goes into this absolutely beautiful joyous ending like the juxtaposition between the two things is amazing it is so nick cave and it is utterly brilliant like i cannot praise it highly enough so you say it's called white elephant yeah that's the. so the album itself is carnage but the as i say the song that that has really affected me from it is called white elephant
0: very good okay i'll give that a listen mine is brand new in fact released today as we record so in fact by the time this is released it won't be brand new anymore anyway sorry new chemical brothers so they have today on the 23rd of April, released a new single, The Darkness You Fear. It is a beautiful piece of summary uplifting electronic music. It's classically Chemical Brothers. it's so it, rem- it reminds me of swoon from uh, from further. I mean that's a, that's a good place to to be going really. Exactly. It's great. and it's so at a time when we are hopefully starting to come out of the the end of what's been a really terrible 15 months or so, it's a really nice song to put on on a day when the sun's shining. It's great. Really good. So it dropped today and it's great.
1: I mean, we're both massive fans of, of the Chemical Brothers. I haven't heard it myself. I did see that it come out today. Um, I just didn't get an opportunity to listen to it. So, yeah, I will definitely be checking that one out.
0: Good stuff. So uh, as we've been doing, we're going to tweet out links to the, the good stuff we're listening to. So so you guys can, uh, can check it out too. And by all means, get in touch with us and let us know what's... Uh, been stuck in your head, good and shite. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, we're we're always
1: always on the lookout for tips of the hat and things that we should be listening to, and it, it'd be nice to know what what you consider to be utter dross.
0: So, shall we get into this album clash?
1: Yes, I think we shall.
0: Right. Okay. We'll as we usually do, we go through things chronologically and by a mere two months. Uh, Public Enemy were first with It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back because that was released in June of '98. It's their second album released on Def Jam Records, which was also the label that the Beastie Boys were signed to. LL oh, Cool J, as well, wasn't there? Yes, indeed, LL Cool J. Yeah, very, yeah. Public Enemy consisting of main MC Chuck D, the Hype Man Flavor Flav, future star of Celebrity Big Brother, DJ Terminator X and the Minister of Information, Professor Griff. As I said, it was released on the 28th of June, 1988. An interesting little fact about the album is that they they purposefully edited it so that each side would be exactly 30 minutes long. So it would fit on a 60-minute cassette. I mean,
1: I love that. I, I absolutely adore that little fact that they'd considered
0: what was the most popular medium of the time. So, and also, it's nice that they're giving, a, you know, giving some consideration to piracy in the 80s as well, saying, you know, we're going to make it easy for you to pirate it on. We're not, you know, C90s are expensive. Get yourself a C60, it's all you need. Home taping is killing music. <laughs> so, apparently, well, it's, it's, it's been quoted that they set out to make the hip-hop equivalent of Marvin Gaye's What's Going On, which is an album we've referenced on a previous Clash and one that we're both very fond of. The deliberate production choice for the album was that it would be faster and more furious than Bone the Show because they wanted to get to make it sound more like their their live shows. It was produced by their sort of long-time collaborators, producers, The Bomb Squad, uh, consisting of Hank Shockley and Keith Shockley, brothers, and Eric Sadler. It was recorded predominantly at Green Street Studios in New York. So the production of this album is key to the sound of it and that sounds obvious
1: oh god yeah you
0: know we talked about that last time out with both of the the bowie produced albums that we went through it's an obvious thing to say but it it really is key to the success of this album so there's a few things i want to i want to bring out before we start going through the tracks the artwork etc so apparently the album was recorded in six weeks which is you know not long at all to to complete an album chuck d uh, basically quoted saying, it was aggressive, race against the clock, teamwork, taking chances in sound. Uh, in an interview with a Keyboard Magazine, what a great name for a magazine that is, in 1990, <laughs> Hank Shockley of the Bomb Squad said, we believe that music is nothing but organized noise. You can take anything, street sounds, us talking, whatever you want, and make music by organizing it. That's still our philosophy, to show people that this thing you call music is a lot broader than you think it is. Which is an absolutely fantastic quote. It's, it, it firstly it really shows what they were thinking when they made the album, but actually just cuts to the heart of of what music is. It's brilliant. I love that quote.
1: Yeah, it, it absolutely nails. It. And particular, obviously, particularly this album. You know, it do, it does sort of come onto it, and it it engages so many different sounds. I mean, we've talked about wall of sound before, and there is a wall of sound that hits you from moment one of this album
0: so that's a fantastic segue into the next quote on a read thank you very much it's almost as if we've been reading the same wikipedia page <laughs> so in an interview with the quietus in 2008 chuck d said of the bomb squad we had musicians like eric sadler hank shockley the phil spectre of hip-hop you've got to give credit as it's due if phil spectre was the wall of sound hank shockley was the wall of noise again a fantastic quote.
1: Yeah, and I think I mean I've got a Chuck D quote here, who who basically said, "We had years of saved up ideas that were compiled into a focused oral missile." Yeah, and again, again like the analogies that are used to describe this album tell you before we've even started talking about it, this is an assault. This is coming at you.
0: Yep, very much so. So just finally, obviously it's it's quite famous for its highly politicised themes and, and lyrics. It basically, it takes aim, as we'll go through, it takes aim at everyone, the, the military, the government, the police, you know, white people, even black middle classes. It, yeah, it does not hold back in its views, this album.
1: Yeah, it, it, they're not pulling their punches. And I mean, Public Enemy scared the shit out of America, particularly the tour. They had to support the first album where, the S one Ws, the group security detail, uh, performed silent combat exercises with toy guns on stage. It scared the fucking bejesus out of out of America because there were these militant black men who who were speaking their truth.
0: Yeah, they were admittedly, self admittedly, and unashamedly a, a black nationalist group, and. <sighs> All right, we'll address it a few more times, but I'm going to bring it out now. There are a lot of direct references within this album and indeed vocal samples of Louis Farrakhan, who I think still to this day is the head of the Nation of Islam, which is a civil rights movement uh, within the US that has been described by the Anti-Defamation League as a hate group. Predominantly because they espouse several rather distasteful, in fact, extremely distasteful, anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. None of which I will repeat on this show.
1: Yeah. So the, there are multiple references to to the Nation of Islam. I mean, I suppose what we what we need to talk talk about as well is the 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 people recording this album. They are the children of the late of the late sixties of yeah. the the growth of the black panther movement of um so this so this generation after obviously the the killing of malcolm x the killing of martin luther king the trials of bobby seal and everything like that that they had seen what had been done to their community leaders it's no surprise that they they arrive and after the decimation of how drugs had affected the black community in the 80s it's no surprise that they're so fucking angry and they've got every right to be as well
0: yeah i agree i agree and so to address the elephant in the room as we've said before we are two middle-class middle-aged white fellas from england so neither of us is particularly well positioned to talk about the civil rights movement in the states throughout the latter part of the 20th century or even today but with that caveat as a given yeah you're you're absolutely right and and there are a lot of themes in this album that speak to that anger and speak to that that movement but there are also calls to individuals involved in that movement who as i said have espoused some extremely prejudiced views.
1: Yeah, uh, we won't we won't go in hugely go into it, but there are reasons
0: why Malcolm X left the nation of Islam. yeah, let, let let's let's leave that there for now. Thanks. Just before we start going through how we were introduced to the album, the artwork. Not a huge amount to say about the artwork itself. So, well, you've got the classic Public Enemy logo, which is... It's a great logo. It's a brilliant logo. Uh, One which I uh, had on a hat, more of which in a moment. Uh, Yeah, it's a great logo. And then the the image is is Chuck D and Flavor Flav behind bars, basically.
1: Yeah, and... I suppose given what they talk about and what is one of some of the themes within the album, it perfectly fits exactly what,
0: what, what's, what's required here. That's fair. I, I, I suppose I sounded quite critical a minute ago. I, I I wasn't intended. Some album covers, you don't need to be intricate in your artwork. It's exactly, it's a clear message of what's in store. If you open the sleeve and, and stick it on your record deck or your tape deck.
1: What What we haven't said is, I mean, what a, Brilliant and fucking provocative uh, title as well. Yes, I mean, Public Enemy album titles are absolutely brilliant, and th-
0: this one, this one particularly, it's it, it's great. It is. It, it was originally so well. I'll we'll get into this in a minute. So the first track on the album's "Countdown to Armageddon." That was the working title for the album itself. I think "It Takes a Nation and Millions to Hold Us Back" is a much more powerful title. Personally, yeah, it is. So, as we always do, how did you first come across this album,
1: Kev? I will be—I will be quite honest. That I first came across this album via yourself. I—I I wasn't unaware of of some of the some of the songs, so like bring bring the noise and the more well-known ones. Yeah. Um, but it was I th- like I think whilst we were sat around like drinking like stuck stuck some music on and you, you stuck this on and i was like this is fucking great i've yeah I've, and you go to hmv and like at the time hmv did a double a, a double cd pack of this album and fear of a black black planet yep so
0: it's like a fiver or something stupid wasn't it
1: yeah for a fiver and like so i've got two brilliant albums for a fiver fantastic
0: yeah. To be honest, it wasn't much before that for me. So I think you mentioned on our very first episode when we were talking about introduction to blues music and stuff, you know, my introduction to hip hop was was white fellas doing it. And so, so it was 98, Beastie Boys released Hello Nasty. That's the album that's got Intergalactic on it. And then through that, I, I started listening to more stuff that Def Jammer put out. This is a theme that we'll go talk about next week as well. Um, yeah, more stuff that Def Jammer put out, got into Public Enemy. The year after that, 99, they released There's a Poison Going On, which is a really good album, actually. And I went to see them at the Wolverhampton Civic Hall. And at the end of the gig, Chuck D threw his hat into the crowd. It hit me in the nose, and I had Chuck D's hat. Note the use of past tense because my wife threw it out. And it was until, until
1: your wife threw it out, it is something that you had referenced a lot.
0: I had Chuck D's fucking hat. Of course, I referenced it a lot. <laughs> also, the fact that it hit me in my nose, which anyone that knows me will know is not my smallest appendage. <laughs> I'm leaving that there. <laughs> well, yeah,
1: I won't comment on what your smallest appendages.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, I've, that's how I got into Public Enemy. So I was I was sort of 17, 18. But, but as you said, you know, you've got a litany of great albums, great titles, and, uh, well, one of which we're going to start going through now. Yeah, so uh, let's crack into it. All right, then. So we start with Countdown to Armageddon, which, as I said, was originally... Uh, intended to be the title of the album it's not much in terms of the track it's just them coming on stage go on Kev I'll let you say it go on so the um, introduction
1: to Countdown to Armageddon is a English voice not an American and it is it is indeed the 90s uh, staple dangerous Dave Pierce of dance anthems fame your actual your actual dangerous day face um, just
0: one for fans of mark and lard there <laughs>
1: Until we were researching this album, I'd never realized that dance anthems. Dave, I mean, fair play to him. Like, I may take the, I may be slightly mocking in my tone towards him, but he's on a fucking Public Enemy album, so yeah, fair play. I, <laughs> he he is winning life
0: ahead of me, anyway. And uh, aside, Pete Tong is on a very famous Tribe Called Quest song as well. Indeed, he is. Uh, d- yeah, Dave Pierce. I mean, he did become something of a parody of himself, but as you said, fair play. He's on a Public Enemy album, and I'm not. All I'll say before we move on is that with the sirens, the screaming, the whistles, it lets you know what you're in for. You you know, an oral missile, a sonic assault. Absolutely right, right from the off.
1: My my first note, call to arms. That's
0: what it is. Yeah, that's a really, really good way of putting it. All right, should we move on? Yeah, let's bring the noise one of the most well-known tracks as you as you alluded to earlier so this starts with some excerpts from a speech that Malcolm x gave well his grassroots speech it's the famous uh, fire and fury speech indeed so cut up samples to make him sound like you're saying too black too strong uh, which again a call to arms
1: <laughs> yeah setting setting your stall out early here
0: mm-hmm it was originally recorded in 1987 uh, as part of the soundtrack to the film Less Than Zero. So this is the first time where the lyrics call out Louis Farrakhan from the Nation of Islam, as I said. so refers to him as a prophet. Indeed, it does. Farrakhan is a prophet. I think you ought to listen to. What can he say to you? What you want to do is follow for now. There's also lyrics that speak out against police treatment of black people. And as we referred to when we talk about the connections, public enemies censorship in the US media. So a lot of radio stations wouldn't play their music, or would only play instrumentals of their music. Basically, would chuck these lyrics taken out. Something which angered Mr. D.
1: <laughs> I mean, what what you can certainly say in terms of in terms of the song, the way it opens, the, and the whole the whole song. It's confrontational. It's as we said said you're setting you're setting your stall out and it absolutely no quarters given
0: it's huge well I, yeah it's massive this is the first time that i've written it to sonic assault it is it's it's huge furious lyrics massive beats loads of bass so that there's part of the song that there's a breakdown to the funky drummer by james brown that was accidental they called it basically they, they pressed the button on their on the sampler machine and the, and the wrong sample came up but they left that in there because they thought it sounded good i agree it sounds fucking great it does and
1: i mean as as angry as this song is as as in your face and everything it's really funky and i think we this may well come out as we talk about other songs on the album is that as as huge as the production is as just the the sonic assault that that occurs It's still, there's still funk to it. And I know that's related to the samples and I know, but the way that they're put put together, there's a
0: true musicality to it. There is. And I go back to the quotes I read uh, regarding the the bomb squad. I agree entirely. Um, This is something that hadn't been done before. And what's most impressive is that none of the samples were done digitally. It was all done on Tape, getting the rhythm, getting the beat right, matching the matching the speed. It's it's phenomenal artistry. Yeah, the the number of samples, the complexity, different layers
1: to it. I mean, it's it's such a layered. This song, as as an example, but throughout the album, it's such a layered and dense dense with just different differing sounds and and that kind of thing going on.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned samples. Uh, and once again, I spent an awful lot of time researching for, for this clash on WhoSampled.com. <laughs> so I already mentioned the funky drummer sample, which is not the last time I mentioned that on this clash, um, or the or the next one, to be honest. Well, get up, get into it, get involved. Also by James Brown. Also samples "Get Off Your Ass and Jam" by the Funkadelic. What a tune that is! It has been sampled itself. This tune 879 times. Christ, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Including by Prince, Eminem, Kanye West, Run DMC, and the Beastie Boys, to name just a few. In terms of covers, there's two I want to call out. Firstly, there's a very famous cover by Chuck D himself uh, with Anthrax in 1991, which is what really helped push rap rock crossovers into the into the mainstream. We'll talk a bit more about that later on as well. <laughs> There's another cover I want to bring out, which is slightly less iconic. It was also covered in 2000 by Stained, featuring Fred Durst. Oh, God. (laughs) Fred Durst is exactly what you think about when you listen to
1: Public Enemy. (laughs) Oh, my entire body hurts just by that knowledge. Like, my life has been diminished by knowing that Fred Durst has covered this. I do just want to... Are you going to call out my Fred Durst period here? <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm not going to do that. But you have you have just um, essentially outed yourself. <laughs> you experimented with Durstism. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did indeed. It, it was a college phase though. <laughs> Sorry, what did you want to say? So the point I wanted to make was within this song, there are shout, to, shout outs to... Yoko Ono and Sonny Bono. It's a good rhyme. It, it is like but like a fairly a fairly surprising uh, pair to to rock up in the middle of this.
0: All right. Um yeah, it's brilliant. As you said, after after the call to arms, which is countdown to arm again, we are right there, and it's you know, furious. It's great, it's it's a brilliant piece of work. Uh as is the next track, in my opinion, at least, don't believe the hype. Brilliant. It's it's funky. It's well funky. Just a little little bit of fact. It was the second single from the album released in July of 1988. It reached number 18 on the Billboard R&B chart in the US and also number 18 on the UK singles chart. In an interview with the Huffington Post in 2012, Chuck D said the lyrics for this track were based on the works of Noam Chomsky. I I definitely had that noted down. How many
1: top 20 hits that are funky are influenced by the works of Chomsky?
0: (laughs) That's almost a rhyme.
1: (laughs) Have you missed your calling as an MC? No. (laughs) No, absolutely not. And I'm not going to even attempt to do the embarrassing white man rapping. But you could be like the
0: the 2020s answer to Professor Green and Plan B. (laughs) Well, I can have an advert on uh, drinking Monster. Was it Monster? I
1: knew it was something. It was something like that, yeah. (laughs) It's impressive that we managed to go from talking
0: about Chomsky to uh, Plan B. (laughs) It's it's your rhymes. (laughs) So there's another reference to Farrakhan in the lyrics of this one, but the, the the tone of the song is very clearly speaking out against media's criticism of the band. So again, I'll quote some of the lyrics in the daytime radio scared of me because I'm mad because I'm the enemy. They can't come on and play me in prime time because I know the time plus I'm getting mine. So it, as well, we said the same about, about bring the noise as funky as this is, the, the curiosity of the vocals really comes through and it's something that is a theme throughout the album the album craft the musicality the innovation within the the sound is phenomenal but it never dominates it's always chuck these vocals that dominate the trap because that's the message that needs to come across and i that again speaks to the talent that was involved in writing recording and producing this album
1: yeah i mean there's a perfect balance between the music the the mix the mix of the sounds chuck D's vocals and obviously uh, flavor flavor as well uh, his part as well adds a kind of uh, levity to to balance to balance out the again we're going to have to we're going to have to find a different word but the the assault that's coming from chuck D. Everything is in is in harmony. That it, it all comes together and works so well.
0: It does. Again, we are struggling to come up with different adjectives. This seems to be a common theme on this. <laughs> so, whilst fruit and vegetable clash is something which I genuinely think is a goer, adjective clash not so much for us. We'd have to get alternative hosts for that show.
1: May, maybe noun clash then.
0: <laughs> adverb clash. <laughs> not even sure what an adverb is. To be honest with you. What's humiliating is my eight-year-old daughter, if I brought her in now, she would be able to tell me what an adverb is. Yeah, but she
1: can't drive, so fuck her.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, well, there you go. I'm uh, not taking that out of the show. I'm going to let the listeners hear what a monster you are. <laughs> well, you've previously been the monster, so
1: someone's got to ad- adopt the uh, the monstrous position.
0: All right. So, sorry, It's this, it's time for samples again. So more James Brown samples, Escapism and I Got Ants in My Pants. The other one I wanted to call out, it samples the famed commercial for tricks cereal, Silly Rabbit. <laughs> tricks are for kids. Indeed it does. So this hasn't been sampled quite as many times, only 113 times. But again, to come out with one of the more comedic ones... It was sampled on two tracks in uh, the debut album Shaq Diesel in 1993 by Shaquille (laughs) O'Neal. I did not think he would go in there. (laughs) Where else would I go? Come
1: on. I mean, we don't know how long we we will be doing Album Clash for, but I don't think we will ever delve to the point where we're doing Shaquille O'Neal's album.
0: That sounds like a challenge. That does, (laughs) Ken. Did Hoddle and Waddle ever release an actual album? Because there's your connection. If they did, I don't
1: believe they did an album. Andy Cole did. Andy, Cole. there's your connection. Andy Cole versus Shaquille O'Neal. No, no, I'm, I am veto. I am vetoing this. You. <laughs> You'll have to get a special
0: guest presenter for that one. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't have anything else to say. Great tune. Yeah, it's, it's again, two tunes in. It's really good. Cold Lampin' with Flavor. Uh, so Cold Lampin', apparently, so thank you to Urban Dictionary for this, <laughs> basically just means chilling, laying low, not doing much of anything, really. So it's a Flavor slave, uh solo rap, basically a stream of consciousness. L- the lyrics are gibberish at times. So, uh, th-
1: I mean the listeners are are going to shake their head at the unsurprising. Would you like it? Would you like the, the verbatim? i so I mine is a slightly more literary way of putting it? Go on. So I said it's like a Joycean stream of consciousness, Ulysses esque. <laughs> okay. I hell. mean that like ge- genuinely uh, that's written down. Oh, cr- I-
0: <sighs> well saws will sell fucking hell. So. <laughs>
1: I mean, what what I would also like to say in terms of this, like, and everything so far, it's amazing just the the sonic diversity within the songs and the layering again. I'm going to jump to also to the samples because obviously, with me loving ephemera and things, we can get our hooks into. It
0: includes a sample from the suite. It does include a sample from the suite.
1: <laughs> yep. So those who aren't aware. Um, they did the, their most famous hit was Blockbuster, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, they were a 70s... Uh, Blockbuster or the Gene
0: Genie, as it's otherwise known. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's Not a particularly serious band, I would say. But a decent glam rock band, come on. Yeah, you know, they were they were fine. Yeah. Also samples War by Edwin Starr and Girls by the Beastie Boys. Not the first time for a Beastie Boys uh, sample as well. No, um, and cer- no, certainly not the last... So in terms of my thoughts on this, it's a bit more musically chaotic. I don't mean that as a as a criticism. I, I actually think it complements the stream of consciousness lyrics.
1: Yeah, I mean I think I think for me as well, the so the first few songs that you've had, uh we've used words like assault and everything like that. One of the one of the things that and we will certainly go on to talk more about it. Is that the album? There's there's great album craft to this album, so this is something completely different from what you've had before. And it we've talked about Alba palate cleansers and stuff like that, and it works really well. Yeah, and certainly going into into the next couple of songs as well, is it just gives you that pause. Like there's still something going on, still something interesting that you can you can listen to, but it's different. It's not it's not just Chuck D preaching at you and haranguing you through the whole album there's other stuff
0: going on that's a really good point to make the last thing I want to say on this so right at the start there's a sort of vocal sample of hip-hop DJ Mr Magic saying no more music by the suckers Mr Magic on his radio show had been dissing Public Enemy little did he realize that Flavor Flav was at home listening to the show and he recorded that on his tape deck, and decided, "Well, there you go. Let's uh, let's stick it on the track and uh, give it to you, basically." Well, I was going to say Flavor Flav
1: of of anyone that I've ever known would definitely know what time that show was at.
0: <laughs> Indeed,
1: <laughs> never late for anything, Flavor. Uh,
0: for anyone not familiar with Public Enemies' work, Flavor Flav uh, often seen wearing a massive alarm clock around his neck. All right. Shall we go on to Terminator X on the edge of Panic? Yeah, let's go on. Sorry, Terminator X to the edge of Panic. So, I mean, the first sample... Great of... start.
1: It's brilliant.
0: <laughs> yeah, it starts with a sample of the theme from Flash Gordon by Queen. And Terminator X is the sabre of the universe. Fucking hell, what a start. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's such a great start. It is brilliant. Also samples uh the Grunt uh, by the JBs, who were James Brown's backing band through much of the 70s. A vocal sample here from Louis Farrakhan. The federal government is the number one killer and destroyer of black leaders. Uh, in an interview with Melody Maker in July of 1988, Chuck D of Farrakhan said he just talks about the neglect of black radio, drug dealers, the assassination of black leaders. So uh, that's very very clearly what the theme of this song is there it, it's a clear indictment on the treatment of black people within the us and sorry
1: no no like i mean you you were actually absolutely nailing it that it that it is and you know we're, we're trying to be as as neutral as as we can be in in this but
0: with good fucking reason well exactly so yeah i mean there's there's references to things like the practice of the FBI using black informers who are wired up to infiltrate black Panther party rallies in the, in the sixties allegations of moral corruption in the judiciary uh, and people who criticize hip hop as a political art form. It's, yeah, with good reason. I don't think it's controversial to say that there is an issue with or has been an issue with institutionalized racism within the US and unfortunately within the UK for generations. Yeah,
1: the the power structures within both both countries are in have entirely worked against the interests of black people in in both those nations and continue to do so unfortunately. Exactly. To climb down from my soapbox for a second,
0: i i love this tune
1: it's it's great so what a what i wrote down is the is the rhythm and the cadence and the patter kind of to chuck d's rapping it's it's so good it's so
0: it's brilliant i think cadence is a is a great word because i agree it's unique yeah chuck d's cadence it is and it it's just spitting his fury down the microphone
1: and it's great you like that's the thing about chuck day is you instantly know it's him he can be he can be on anything like or someone sampled him and you know it's him because of the the rhythm to it the speed to it the the sound to it every everything about Tombra, thank you that everything about it is uniquely his and it was, it's what yeah. makes this album great. I mean... It's one of the things
0: that yeah, makes this album great.
1: It's Without denigrating other elements to it, but it's such a core element to it, his lyrics and his way of getting that out.
0: Yeah, agreed. Given all that, and yes, you can really hear Chuck D come into the fore on this track, I also think most prominently so far on the album... Christ uh, Terminator X is given license to just rip all over the back of this track it's yeah. fucking brilliant
1: yeah i mean it, just the the sheer quality and ability of terminator mm. x comes it comes through throughout but obviously with the name of the song as well it's it's front and center
0: yeah so we move on to mind terrorist
1: yeah so it it's on, it's only a relatively short song but again, as as we've talked about in terms of album craft, it's a it's a short one that breaks up the album, and again, it's something different.
0: It is the only thing I'd say, and this isn't the fault of the album because I'm going to be talking about something which came ten plus years later. It puts me in mind of the annoying interludes that Limp Biscuit always used to put between tracks on their albums. Look, do not
1: blame Public Enemy for your I'm da- not, I'm for your not. Durst
0: dalliance. stallions. Your dirty, dirt stallions. I maintain that three dollar bill uh, is a good album. Significant others oh, got some decent tracks on it. We, listen, we might we might dabble in the in the biscuit in future on this on this show. Well, we we may we may go <laughs> new metal. <laughs> we may do. Um, I, I don't have anything to say. Yeah, it's fine. All right, it's only a minute long. Move on. Yeah. So we shall <laughs> louder than a bomb. So this is another one which is really clearly railing against their perception and their demonization in the media. It likens their treatment to that of, of terrorists. So I stand accused of doing harm because I'm louder than a bomb. Once again, it speaks out against uh, treatment of black leaders by the federal government. And there are direct accusations here. Your CIA, you CIA kidding, both King and X. They got rid of both. Story untold, true but unknown. The sample choices, again, are absolutely
1: phenomenal yep and that sonic palette that they create again is balanced so brilliantly with with Chuck D's rapping and ev- everything else i'm having like by this point of the album i'm having a lovely old time so that's an interesting choice of phrase in in terms of the in terms of the quality. Like,
0: uh, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't. You know, it's. I'm ready to walk into town and start smashing shit up. To be honest with you,
1: <laughs> what, what I meant by that is the the lovely old time that I'm having is the musically. It's absolutely brilliant. It is. I'm not, in terms of having a lovely old time. This isn't. This is not that I'm relaxing. Next to next to a beach with with like a, a lovely cold beer. This is agitational music. This is to get you up out and on the street. Yeah, but in, but I'm enjoying myself, so that's what I mean by having a lovely old time.
0: Fair enough, I, I I agree. I mentioned earlier on that the album's got a number of criticisms of black middle classes. This is one that I'd like to 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 quote. So Chuck D says, "Never serving them well because I'm an untom." That refers to the term Uncle Tom from the character in the Harriet at Beecher Stowe's Uncle Tom's Cabin. What Chuck D is saying there is that he is not subservient to white people and that he is criticising certain members of the black community who he believes are subservient to, to white people. Well, if you if you understand the meaning of the lyric, it's a, a really stark criticism, really.
1: Yeah, it is. It, it's of, certainly as Chuck D felt, it, that black middle class society that had left left others behind really
0: last thing to say on this uh well in terms of facts at least a call forward to next week ice cube sampled this on uh, his track the n word you love to hate on uh his first solo album america's most wanted so there's a sample from cool and the gang and you called out the samples and fucking hell it's re- like the, it's really funky all the way through the track really funky like you said It's another musically different track, but again, the social and political message just bursts through um, really good. Yeah, it is. It's just really good. So shall we move on to Court? Can we get a witness? Yeah. So this is basically very much a song in defense of the art of sampling, which as you'll have realized is something which is quite prominent throughout this album. (laughs) The lyrics say, Court now in a court case because I stole a beat this is a sampling sport but i'm giving it a new name and what you hear is mine so part of this justification is that the pop music industry was built on the appropriation of black culture and black music and so chuck dc's it all as fair game he's got a point
1: <laughs> he does have a point i mean as as we talked about in our first class with
0: um, eric clapton yep and well and you mentioned the rolling stones earlier and uh, <clears throat> yeah. and we haven't even got into zeppelin <laughs> oh, christ <laughs> Give me
1: a yeah. Page, Robert Plant as well. Well, yeah. Matter. I mean, this this song it, itself, given given the the subject matter, it presaged the impact caused. The album itself is very much of its time due to the number number of samples. As I said, like it presaged the impact caused by the Biz Markey case in ninety one.
0: Oh, I don't know about this.
1: Essentially, it was a case related to sampling and after after the ruling in that case it basically meant that you needed the original artist's artist's clearance before you could utilize a sample and so after well after the after the 91 ruling sampling became much harder so the stuff that's done in here and in next week's clash is far harder to do cuz just the cost of clearing and if you think of like how these how these songs are put together like there's you know, 10 to 18 different samples of just a drum beat or something like that. You couldn't do that after that ruling because of just the complexity of doing that.
0: Somewhere Richard Ashcroft is listening to this show and thinking, why didn't I know about this in 1997? (laughs) Anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, just go and look up Bitter Symphony, you'll get it. Yeah. In terms of the, the tracks that this song does sample, it samples Son of Shaft by the Bar K's. Does it? Banger. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lovely use of the wah-wah there. It, yeah, indeed. It has been sampled 101 times, <laughs> including by Tupac Shakur. Okay. Mr. Wazzo, his second reference on an album Clash. That's not the best one. And Sheena Easton. What the punk rocker? <laughs> Sheena, not on the track "Sugar Walls." Not that I have any idea what that song was about. Uh, but uh, yeah, so it's it's a it's a much faster than any of the tracks that's come before. It's great. Yeah, it's it's fantastic.
1: It, and again, this is this is the beauty of the sampling that they were able to do at this point. That even if you don't particularly like the rap, I mean, I do like the rapping in it, but. Even if you don't particularly like it, it's got the Shaft wawar in it. Son of Shaft, not Shaft. Sorry, the son of Shaft wah-wah in it. Like you may just like that and just go, yeah, sound. So you know, like that's something that you could, something you can enjoy, even if you don't necessarily enjoy the content of the lyrics. That's the beauty
0: of of this approach. Yeah. Shall we move on? Show them what you got. Uh, so there is a vocal sample right at the start. Freedom is a road seldom travelled by the multitude. A really nice quote. It is from uh, Harvey Henderson, who was saxophonist with the Bar-Kays. Uh He said it at the 1972 What Sax Festival. The majority of this track is vocal samples from Ava Muhammad, who was a leading member of the Nation of Islam. She's paying homage to several black civil rights leaders, including... Adam Clayton Powell, Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, and Nelson Mandela. I don't have much to say about this. It's another call to arms. It's a nice beat. There you go.
1: Yeah. I mean, I didn't have a huge amount to, to write about this. It's again, it's a different chain, it's a different pace, it's a different sound to it, but it's still within
0: the collection of, of, of what's gone before. And we then go on to She Watch Channel Zero. If if ever a song was a tribute to Gil Scott Heron's, the revolution will not be televised. <laughs> yeah, without
1: questioning, I was a debt to that. That's not where I thought you were going to start. I actually genuinely thought you were going to start with the main, sem- the main sample, the Slayer, yeah, Angel of Death. I mean, like genuinely, like fair play, fair play. Like the diversity of stuff that they throw in here is is to the credit because it, like low so. Linkin Park and people like that, they have they have listened to this album and hit, heard this and gone.
0: So even before that, you're right, but this is the, well, no, it's not the first because Licence to Will came out the year before that and that's that had elements of, of mixing rock music and rap music. But the idea of, of putting metal music and sticking a rap over it, this is, as you said, inspirational to the whole of that new metal movement. Not just that, you know, Rage Against the Machine or a debt to this tune. Yeah. No doubt about that. Yes, it, it's. I've got to say, it kind of makes me want to go and listen to Slayer, except I'll be disappointed because... Because it's still Slayer. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. uh, so Slayer, another Def Jam uh, artist, uh, interestingly enough. Is that right? I... Yep, they were signed to Def <laughs> well, Jam. Well, fucking right? hell, I didn't know that uh, Slayer were signed to Def Jam. Fair, fair enough. There's a couple of things I want to say about this. It's obviously a, a criticism of, well, in particular, television soaps, uh, you know, rotting your brain and creating unrealistic expectations. So lyrics such as, she turns and turns and she hopes soaps are for real. She learns that it ain't true. No, but she won't survive. Rather die a lie. Fall a fool for some dude in a tube. So there's a clear, as to say, criticism of television within that. The other thing I'd say is, in hindsight, which is a wonderful thing, the subject matter is quite ironic given as I've already mentioned Flavor Flav would go on to star in Celebrity Big Brother and numerous other reality television shows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he
1: he definitely he definitely would have been on Channel 0.
0: <laughs> I really like this tune. It's great. I think it's, great it's, great it's stuff. brilliant. Well, as I said, it it, it creates a, a subgenre of music in itself
1: and it's a, it's a really good in itself it's just a really good critique of Yeah
0: vacuous television it is quite funny as well <laughs> yeah, it is all right night of the living base heads yeah this is one where there is a opening speech being a vocal sample from khalid abdul muhammad again from the nation of islam speaking out against the treatment of black americans and calling all the way back to, to slavery so he says have you forgotten that once we were brought here we were robbed of our name robbed of our language we lost our religion our culture our god And many of us, by the way, we act, we even lost our minds. That is a a prairie to the subject matter of the song. It's basically about the impact of crack cocaine on on African-American communities, as well as being a critique of the crackdown by the authorities. Disproportionate, as is seen certainly by Chuck D in the lyrics of the song, on black communities through legislation that was brought forward as part of the war on drugs
1: well and unfortunately the the themes that are spoken about within this song through the sadly prevalent prison industrial complex the cocaine it's, cocaine itself is tends to be a white drug and possession of cocaine is tends not to be prosecuted or if you or certainly white um white people who are caught in possession of it tend to get lighter sentences people who are in possession of crack get much heavier sentences and get into that system and everything that come that comes from it. I mean, and that's still going on, unfortunately still going on today. Um the the title of the song itself is obviously a reference to the night of the living dead and equating obviously people who were addicted to crack, which was just having a devastating impact on black inner city communities at this time um with zombies. And it's again showing Chuck D's political activism about the shit that's affecting his community. And unfortunately at this time, crack was devastating and still is, you know, to, to an extent, but certainly in the eighties
0: and this point of the eighties, it was so prevalent. I've got a slight issue. Well, it's not a slight issue. I've got an issue with this song and it's nothing to do with the message, nothing to do with the lyrics. It's actually for the first time to do with the music. I think the backing track to this and the backing track to She Watch Channel Zero are the wrong way around. I think a song like this, with the message this has to provide, needs something far more furious to it. And what you get is something which seems overly playful musically. And I... I think it's not a great tune because of that. I think it's quite weak actually, because of the backing track. It's disappointing to me.
1: So I disagree with you. So we have a clash. Well, there you go. There's a clash and everything. So my noting was the the sampling here is amazing. It creates a bass, which the song builds from. It incorporates twenty different twenty different samples. Um, twenty one, over twenty <laughs> <laughs> different samples. I I like I like it. I understand your point, the, the subject matter. You could you could approach it with a much harsher sound, which She Watches Channel Zero has has that sort of brutalist edge sound to it. So I understand the point you're making. I don't necessarily agree with it, though.
0: Okay, fair enough. I, I just think the She Watches Channel Zero is far more playful lyrically. This is far more playful musically. And whilst She Watches Channel Zero doesn't suffer because of the backing trap, for me, this does. So you mentioned those twenty-one samples. That includes again, it samples "The Grunt" by the JBs. It samples "Fame" by David Bowie, and and I didn't I I've listened long and hard for this. I couldn't pick it up. It samples "Rock Steady" by Aretha. Yeah, I,
1: I I noted that down as well. I I didn't I didn't pick it up. In terms of going back to to what you were saying, the strength of the lyrics, the lyrical content to it, doesn't necessarily necess- necessitate something that has a strong musical backing for me anyway i think that would that would be overkill i don't think it okay. to. i think it would become a bit too preachy pulpity with a with a harder with a harder sound to
0: it all right i can i can maybe see that point I, I i don't necessarily agree but i see where you're coming from i've not got anything else to say about what i feel about the tune but another couple of things i want to bring out so this was released as a single it reached number sixty-two on the USR and B chart. And uh I'm not gonna talk about what it was sampled by, but in terms of covers, uh this was covered by the insane clown posse. Okay, nothing to add. <laughs> I'm only calling out the shit once. <laughs> um yeah, for me, not great. So I, but we disagree. So should we move on? Yeah, let's move on. All right, Black Steel in the Hour of Chaos. Also released as a single, reached number 86 on the US R&B chart. The very prominent piano part that plays through the song is a sample from Isaac Hayes, his track. I'm going to take a long run up at this one. Okay. Hyperbolic, syllabic-esque... Ah, fuck! <laughs> Hyperbolic, <laughs> Syllabics esque daily mystic. That'll do. I would. I would like the first attempt to stay in. Uh, I'm the editor. I'll decide. That track from his 1969 album, the fantastically named "Hot Buttered Soul." It's a brilliant album as well. It's really good. It is. It is really good. So the song itself, it's about a young black man. He's a conscientious objector. Uh, he's been jailed for the crime of draft evasion, and he successfully attempts a jailbreak. The title of the song obviously refers to the Black Steel being the gun that Chuck D procures in order to stay to jailbreak, but it's also obviously got a double entendre. Black Steel also being the nerve that he needs to display in order to pull off his escape. Really good. I like it a lot.
1: It's absolutely brilliant. Um, And you can see how this has a huge influence going forward um, in that sort of the, the piano the, the the fire the fury and the anger within the yes. within the lyrics obviously the 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 reference to to you to having to having a gun and potentially using it to break to break out the how that in, potentially influences things going forward it's it's great and also the the tricky cover is fucking brilliant as well I've never heard that have you not No Oh it's a it's a good good thing.
0: Okay, I'll have to listen to that. Oh, there you go. I've learned something new. Uh, yeah, it's great. So again, it, musically it's quite simple. You know, you have got that that um, Isaac Hayes piano riff coming through. Just let's Chuck D riff all over it. Just so that the theme is very clear lyrically. There's one thing I wanna I wanna call out, uh, and this is one for fans of U.S. foreign policy history. There's a reference in it to Oliver North. Who, who? If you don't know, uh, he was charged, but he got off a charge of being involved in clandestine arms sales to Iran in the mid '80s. Yes, the so-called Iran-Contra affair. Yeah, indeed.
1: So the the story behind that was the. <laughs> I mean, I'll try and I'll try and keep this as brief as possible because this could spread legs and go everywhere. The CIA, who were supporting the Mujahideen, who were fighting the Soviets in Afghanistan, Mujahideen who later became Al Qaeda, were looking to raise to secretly raise money to funnel it to the Mujahideen, and through various schemes, were trying to sell weapons to Iran. That's essentially the story. Next week on the history of the world in a hundred hip hop songs. <laughs> I mean, you probably could, like, certainly in public enemy ones, you you certainly would, <laughs> would get a, a fair
0: old uh, history lesson. Do you know what? I might pitch that to Radio 4. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I like this a lot. Um, great tune. Yeah, it is. It's, it's just really good. So, Security of the First World. It's another instrumental intermission. The title refers as Kevin... Mentioned earlier to the group's security detail. Uh, the only thing I've got to say about this is uh, and you'll probably know this yourselves, the drum loop was sampled in Madonna's Justify My Love, written, recorded, and produced by Lenny Kravitz. Oh, there you go. Uh it's a great beat though.
1: It is, it is like again. Instrumental, the as we've talked about, like the the album craft here gives you gives you pauses. Um, and breaks away from everything else and it, it works it works really well as as palate cleanser and just giving you relief from the from the barrage like a po- like a pause in the shelling
0: <laughs> yeah, very good I don't know why i'm laughing at that <laughs> <laughs> what you're a fan of shell shock because i'm desensitized to <laughs> violence because of acts like public enemy tip of gore was right. <laughs> It's not the last time we'll talk about typical. No, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you know what? We're getting towards the end now. We are. Uh, Rebel without a pause. <sighs> what a start. Oh, fucking hell yes. So the high-pitched saxophone loop, again, it's a sample of the of the grunt by the JBs. As you'll uh, know by now, it's another one that samples the funky drummer. It also samples Get Off Offer That Thing by James Brown, which I think, is that your favourite James Brown track? It is actually my favourite
1: James Brown song. Yeah, I fucking love that tune. And uh, I mean, one, like we've, we've mentioned James Brown in sort of passing so many times on Funky Drummer. The entire history of rap owes such a debt to the musicians who played on Funky Drummer. And, yes. well, and played on loads of James Brown songs. Definitely. But the JBs were fucking phenomenal. Well, yeah. I mean, because they had to be, otherwise they get they wouldn't get paid. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, indeed. So the track starts with a vocal sample from Jesse Jackson. Another one from the What's Axe Festival in 1972. He says, brothers and sisters, I don't know what this world is coming to now. The Brothers and Sisters bit was also sampled very famously on Pump Up the Volume by Mars. Of course it is. Fucking tune, by the way. Yeah, that's a a great tune. So this is, uh, we've we've said call to arms repeatedly on this. This is a massive call to arms to young black people. So Chuck D rapping, the only part your body should be partying to, Panther Power on the hour from the rebel to you. It's um, very clear what the message of this song is
1: it it is and so i made the note it's amazing how it keeps the funk whilst being an attack on the senses it's phenomenal and it is some some songs you might argue potentially sound a little dated i've certainly i've certainly read reviews of people who hadn't heard it before who felt that it it sounded a little dated. this doesn't this does not at all
0: no it doesn't so obviously it's got the funky drummer playing underneath it, but the drum beat that's sort of laid over the, the funky drummer sample is Flavor Flav manually playing uh, a Roland uh, 808 drum machine, which, like, fucking hell, I mean, he must have he must have had repetitive strain injury if they'd had to do that multiple times.
1: Even, I mean, it's a fucking, a fucking great, great bit of drumming.
0: It is a great bit of drumming, definitely, uh, and, and shows his musical talent beyond being the hype man, as he was self-titled. The only other facts I want to say, and this is a call forward to next week. So this has been sampled 338 times, including on tracks by Eazy-E, Ice Cube, and on the track Quiet on the Set, featured on Straight Outta Compton, which we'll be going through next week. Okay. On to Prophets of Rage. Chuck D uh, was quoted in in a book called Check the Technique, Liner notes for hip-hop junkies. Great title for a book. The title came from an article I saw in Life that had a caption about Malcolm X. It said, whatever happened to the prophets of rage? I like to make the title of a song first because it helps me write the rest of the song. Uh, He was further quoted in Melody Maker in July 1988, an interview we referred to before. He says, we're talking about Malcolm X. Marcus Garvey, The Prophets of Rage, the black leaders of America that was wiped out. And we're talking about how that anger is in every black American, especially a lot of the rappers. The other thing I want to call out lyrically for this track is that there is a very clear criticism of Margaret Thatcher within the lyrics of this track. I'm okay with that. (laughs) So, uh, specifically about her refusal to impose sanctions on apartheid South Africa, which... Yeah, can't really argue with that. Nope.
1: Um, the the only thing in addition to what you've to what you've said so far, the there is a fucking great guitar riff from the Jacksons in this.
0: There is.
1: Um, I mean that's that's something that the Jackson five are very rarely credited for. Is the is the sheer like musical ability that they had. Uh, they did. I mean, obviously everyone knows that they can sing and that, but like the
0: actual musicianship is what I meant. So this track it was covered by the supergroup Profits of Rage which was Chuck D, Be Real from Cypress Hill and uh, Rage Against the Machine uh, well Rage Against the Machine without Zack de la Rocha uh, it was a decent cover version the album wasn't particularly great but it was a decent enough cover version
1: yeah it, uh, the the constituent elements made you very excited but the actual end product was not as 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 good as you thought it was gonna be.
0: Agreed. The only thing I'd say about this, as much as I like it, it doesn't offer much musically that I haven't already been offered on this album. And that's that's rare, yeah. Actually, because we've talked a lot about the differences in style, the palette cleansers that come with the interludes. This is a bit more of the same considering what you've just heard on Rebel Without a Pause.
1: Yeah, I I I I don't I don't disagree with that as as much as I like it the that's a, that's a fair criticism though. It's a bit of the same that's gone before.
0: Now we move on to the final track party for your right to fight, which um, you will realize is a play on the title of the Beastie Boys breakthrough single fight for your right to party from the previous year. It also samples that track. It also samples, I think it samples girls as well. Oh, several Beastie Boys tracks. Again, Political call to arms. It's got references to the Black Panther Party, the surveillance of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X by J. A. Guiver. Slightly more controversially, it also refers to the doctrine of Jacob from the Nation of Islam. I'm not going to go into that into detail, but it's one of the more unsavory elements of the album.
1: Uh, yeah, again, um, references Elijah Muhammad. I don't like so in terms of this song. I didn't particularly like it. I have to say. Didn't really get me. Didn't re- and like that's putting aside the sort of reference to anti-Semitic conspiracy theories and that, that kind of thing. It just if I'm taking it purely on the musical mu- musicality of it, never really grabbed me.
0: Okay, so I slightly disagree. I think it's in the wrong place on the album. I think it's a really odd way to end the album. What I like about it is that musically it's another different track. It's a lot more playful musically. Yeah, I, I just I don't know why they decided this was the track that they wanted to end the album with. That's what I'd say.
1: Yeah, it it, seem, it seemed it seems like an odd given the two songs previous. Mm-hmm. It seems a very odd. Choice, yeah. Considering how considering how well crafted that the album has been previously, it, it, it's a rare misstep.
0: It is a rare misstep. I think that again, for me, in terms of track order, I think I like the song more than you do. Though I I understand your criticisms, and that's about all I've got to say about the tracks in this album. So I suppose we we've
1: kind of made reference to the legacy, and obviously it's reference. I mean, it's literally sampled in the album that we're going to do next week. And it's massively influential on countless other bands. How did it perform commercially, though?
0: Very well, is the answer. So it sold 500,000 copies in the US within the first month of release. It spent 49 weeks on the Billboard Pop Albums chart with a highest position of number 42. In the UK, it reached number eight in the album chart. It's been certified gold in this country, platinum in the USA, and to date, the global sales total over two million copies. So, commercially very successful.
1: And I suppose it's the first breakout rap album, really. Um, whilst whilst Run DMC have obviously been been very popular and. It grown in popularity over the course of the decade that this is this is maybe the start of the tipping point.
0: So I'd possibly suggest license to ill the year before. Ironically, White Fellas doing hip-hop again, but that had been a massively successful album. But a very, very different style of hip-hop to this. So I think this paved the foundations for what was to follow and what was to follow in the immediate aftermath, as we're going to talk about next week. All right, we'll do the reviews, but before we do, there's, a, there's an elephant in the room that we do need to address, and it's time for this week's terrible individual. So I mentioned Professor Griff earlier, who had been appointed as the group's Minister of Information. In June of 1989, Professor Griff was fired from the group after comments emerged from a magazine interview in which he'd advocated anti-Semitic conspiracy theories espoused by the Nation of Islam. Again, I will not be repeating those here. They are despicable. So Def Jam actually announced that the group had disbanded in the immediate aftermath of that. However, shortly after that, Chuck D denied it, telling the New York Times, I never said we disbanded. I said Griff had to lose his position. He was later rehired by Public Enemy as their supreme allied chief of community relations. His duties will include service to the black community with special attention to local youth programs, Chuck D said in that same New York Times interview. Griff's statements were wrong and I apologized. He's also apologized to me. The problem is the system of white world supremacy. It's not white people, but the system that benefits them more than us. You have to build a respect mechanism for yourself as a self-defense mechanism. Make yourself as a as person as you can possibly be. So Professor Griff himself in his 2009 book, Analytics, would address his comments. I don't think he fully atoned for them. I don't think he came anywhere near to atoning for them, to be honest with you. I think, Chuck, these quotes speak to what you said earlier on about the anger within the black communities of America, that in certain instances that had been channeled in the wrong areas.
1: So unfortunately, this is not the last time that anti-Semitism is going to play a part in in this clash and next week we will certainly cover further instances of it um, amongst members involved in both albums all right
0: shall i do the reviews yeah and we this will include nobby mcgee woo (laughs) all right so a couple before we get to the main event david frick of rolling stone called it a molotov cocktail of nuclear scratching gnarly minimalist electronics and revolution rhyme He also noted references to Farrakhan, as we said earlier, saying the band's salutes to him cloud the real issues of strength through pride, of war on apathy that fuel the public enemy noise. I think that is a really great, succinct review of this
1: album. Indeed, and I also have a David Frick quote. Please go. So listening to Nation of Millions is like having your brain hot-wired into an emergency TV broadcast with the apocalypse playing on every channel. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Fair play. We, we criticised the Rolling Stone last week.
0: Much better this week. Uh, all right, Mark Jenkins from the Washington Post. He was a bit more blunt in terms of political messages within the album. So he said, for their work to pack the political wallop they crave, however, the members of Public Enemy need to think for themselves not just attach themselves to the thought of whichever black nationalist is currently drawing big crowds. A little bit harsh, I think, but I understand where he's coming from.
1: Yeah, I'd, uh, I would say that the Nation of Islam has has had a long history within, well as we as we've referenced earlier, that uh, Malcolm X and his involvement with the Nation of Islam. so they've they've had a longer
0: involvement. Yeah, exactly. Right. Nobby McGee, okay. So this is Robert Criscan. Now, the first thing I'll say before I go into reading his review, he speaks very positively about the album. But once again, like we did with Air, there is one particular phrase he uses, which is, I'm going to say, unfortunate. Let's see if he can spot what it is. Again, this is a quote. I apologize in advance if there is any language I use that is deemed inappropriate. So, Robert Criscoll said, the bravest and most experimental pop of the decade, no matter how the music looks when written down, haha, in parenthesis, no idea what he means by that, Hank Shockley and Terminator X have translated Blood Ulmer's harmonic visions into a street fact that's no less edutaining, what a shit (laughs) word, if different, in the dwellings of monkey spawn and brothers alike and different what monkey spawn what (laughs) now it's possible that he is ironically referring as i mentioned earlier to the doctrine of yakub which is a fairly unpleasant creation theory espoused by people within the nation of islam even if that's what he's referring to the use of the term monkey spawn is so clumsy just what what why even why even mention it just fucking hell. what are you doing so 10 years later he talk about nonsense when refer- <laughs> when reviewing Mune Safari. now he's talking about monkey spawn and reviewing public what is the matter with you jesus christ is he just
1: like halfway through through writing his review, he has some kind of moment where he just throws he throws in a random phrase just
0: to make sure that you're actually fucking reading it. I don't, like, what the fuck? I have no idea whether he thinks it's ironic or funny or what, but fucking monkey spawn. Jesus Christ, what is wrong with you? He's back. Uh, and <laughs> not for the last time in this clash, people. Don't you worry. We'll be, t- we'll be hearing from him next week as well. <laughs> Oh, dear. Okay, couple more things before we go on to best song, worst song. In 1995, Q Magazine rated it as the greatest rap album of all time, as did the NME in the same year. In 2003, Rolling Stone listed it as high as number 48 on their 500 Greatest Albums list, which was the highest-ranked hip-hop album on there. And just a little postscript, Kurt Cobain in his journals listed it amongst his favourite 50 albums. It is an undisputed classic. Yeah, it really is. So there's one last thing I want to say about the album. I think its biggest legacy is that it gave voice to a movement of disaffected black youth. And I think sadly that message is, as we said earlier, just as relevant today as it was over 30 years ago in 1988. So I'm going to quote an excellent article uh, from 2018. So an article for the 30th anniversary of the album's release on The Quietus by David Bennon. So he put things far more eloquently than I ever could. And now, 30 years on, with an American president overtly supportive of white supremacism and a Black Lives Matter movement that, whether or not one agrees with the specific politics of its leadership, is unquestionably born of dire necessity. The idea that public enemy were overly pessimistic is liable to induce mordant laughter. If anything, it feels as if they understated the matter. I think that is A brilliant way of putting it yeah the
1: themes the messages everything everything we've talked about in relation to this album is still as relevant today unfortunately as it was when it was recorded and that frankly is a an evocation of guilt for society the the problems that are easily highlighted there have not even been
0: begun to be addressed Agreed. So that's one small quote from the article. I'll tweet the link to it. It's a fantastic read, honestly. Really, really good. And, and I think that should be the last word on yeah, it. To be honest, I, with I, I think that it's it's a perfect way to end. Okay, let's do best song, worst song. I know you like to start worst song. So go on, Kev. What what is your least favorite song on this album?
1: Well, unfortunately, it's the last song on the album. Party for your right to fight. It, yeah, I've, I just. Don't particularly like it. It's not. It's not bad. It just never, never spoke to me. Never grabbed me.
0: Okay, fair enough. What's your favourite track?
1: Rebel without a pause. I mean, I could. I I could have. I could have mentioned Bring the Noise. I could have mentioned Don't Believe the Hype. I could have mentioned Terminator X to the Edge of Panic. Like, there's so many great songs on here, but just that start, ev- and then everything about it. it Flavor Flav's drumming. It, it's just brilliant. It's an absolutely phenomenal piece of work, Um, as I said, it's still fresh today. So we have two disagreements this week in terms of best song, worst song. We we may actually be um, be fulfilling our
0: um, our actual USP there, there is a clash. So my least favorite song, I think I gave the game away earlier a bit. It's "Night of the Living heads a song with that message deserves a much more a much more angry backing track than it gets i i i think it's jarring i don't think it works and i think it's a letdown so that's my least favorite song my best my favorite is uh i would give honorable shout outs to uh rebel without a pause and she, uh, she Watched channel zero it's bring the noise it's a furious start to the album yeah. it is as i said earlier it just makes you want to run into town and start smashing shit up it is a call to arms i love bring the noise favorite track
1: in in terms of favorite tracks like that's a brilliant song like it's it could easily have been that one but uh,
0: yeah i i went i went different okay so i guess that's about it the only other thing to go through today as always kev please tell people how they can keep in touch with the show So if you want to find out
1: about, well, if you want to see a global sports franchise collapse in two days, you can watch it occur on Twitter. (laughs) You may also want to follow us on at Clash Album. If you are a fan of photographs, usually of food, possibly of avocados. Or the Kardashians, I don't know. Yeah, shit like that. (laughs) <laughs> um, you you may want to follow us on, on our Insta, which is really good because we have nothing to do with it, which is Clash Album. Or uh, you may want to just send us an old school email and you will be able to get us
0: at albumclash at gmail.com. So our Instagram account is by far the best output that we produce yeah and it's as i said it's got fuck all to do with the two of us it actually i would say it belies the quality of this podcast yeah honestly. because you look at you look at the stuff we're putting out on insta you're thinking christ that looks really professional And you listen to us and you're thinking the fuck is this yeah the insta stuff <laughs> is is great thank you <laughs> uh yeah as as i always say please get in touch please get involved leave us a review subscribe all that stuff It's great that you're still getting and listening to us, and we hope you're enjoying it. So, I guess all I'll say is thanks very much, and we'll see you next time. Ta da! Ta da! Take care.